So today we're going to talk about mentoring. It's such an important part of leadership development, but how can we make it happen? That's coming up now. And here we are on the HR Hub podcast with me, Andrea Adams. Keep listening to learn about this topic and all kinds of things related to HR. You can also find me on YouTube. Today, my guest is Laura Lunsford. Laura is has literally written the book about mentoring. And so when I went, or at least that's how it seemed when I went looking for someone to talk to about this subject, who also had credibility in the field. She's also a professor and assistant dean at the at Campbell University. Hi, Laura, how are you? I'm great and happy to talk about one of my favorite topics too, Andrea. Oh, well, I am like delighted to have you. It was so at the top of my list for a long time and then it kind of fell off and then I was like, oh, I still haven't done that. So here we are. All right. Um, but just to get everybody um, into the same place and the same frame of mind about this topic, just give us a brief rundown of what exactly is mentorship. Well, you know, I go to conferences where we debate the definition for days, but I'm going to give you the short um, typically, it's going to involve the traditional idea of mentorship is it involves two people. One has more experience and that it's a voluntary relationship where both people are going to share and, and typically a focus on professional goals. Okay. I'm a, I'm a little bit curious. Where's the debate? You debate about this for a long time. Well, yes, because, well, what's the difference between mentoring and coaching or executive mentoring or peer mentoring or reverse mentoring? And does it have to just be one-on-one? So lately, there's a bigger emphasis on networked mentoring, developmental mentoring, or mentoring mosaics. There's a lot of terms for um, the idea that you might be engaged with more than one of these kinds of relationships at a time. Okay, well, you said it, and I was actually planning to ask you that question anyways. What is the difference between mentorship and coaching? It's funny, I'm teaching a class on that topic right now, and mentoring traditionally is thought of as a more um, informal, but it doesn't have to be informal relationship, where um, people come together around some shared goals, and it focuses a lot on personal and professional development. They tend to last longer. They don't have to. Um, but typically those relationships, we might have a mentor for a long time. Whereas coaching is much more skills-based. So it's around learning a particular skill. It tends to be more short-term. And especially in the business environment, you might even hire someone or it might be a paid coach who's helping to develop maybe your executive presence, for example. Um, we also can think about coaching in the terms of sports. Um, and certainly there's people with the title of coaches who also do mentoring, but typically that's more, it's just much more short-term skill development kind of focus versus your professional and personal goals. And mentoring, at least in my experience, tends not to be paid. I mean, I've actually never heard of mentors being paid. Well, the one exception to that is in the United States, uh, they tend to pay teachers who are mentors. They could see it as part of some pre-service or, or teaching new teachers. So I, often I've, I've sometimes surprised myself that they're often compensated for that work. I might argue that they're doing more coaching than mentoring, but they call okay. them mentors. But typically um, you wouldn't encounter mentors being paid. So we're talking about it from an organizational perspective today. And I know like there's just mentoring in so many contexts because it's so helpful for so many reasons, but... 
what are the benefits of mentoring for an organization? Like, why should an organization invest in mentoring? Well, that's a great question. And there's lots of reasons, and the research shows there's lots of benefits for mentoring. But the fact mm-hmm. is, it really didn't start to get formalized until the 80s. And at least in the United States, this was really driven by lawsuits about the glass ceiling. So women weren't moving up in an organization. So there started to be more emphasis on uh, formal mentoring programs. And what informal or formal, so whether it's, you know, sanctioned your master to someone or you just naturally come up with um, someone to mentor, really can have some organizational benefits to socialize people. And the, and the informal rules, the rules that aren't written down, but it would really help if you knew them, um, um, how to get things done, who is really going to be helpful. So mentoring can have these personal benefits to the person to advance, but it also really helps the organization because it teaches people much more quickly how to navigate and be successful. Um, you mentioned that, though, in that um, it, almost in an equity context uh, around women how did how is it relevant there like why did it come up in that context well because companies were told they needed to do something to fix the problem of women not advancing to the c-suite and one of the tools they came up with was formal mentorship and so mentoring started to get a lot more attention by scholars in the business world like did it really matter what kind of program was more effective um, and certainly it's grown. And, and now we see formal mentoring when people wouldn't normally come together. So if, if we are more similar or we're right next door in an office, we might connect. But formal mentoring programs are really now meant to connect people who probably wouldn't come in contact with one another. And so it, it was meant as a remedy to help sort of make help these women have connections with, um, you know, powerful individuals whom they might not have otherwise coming in contact with. And, you know, it has big benefits sometimes for companies in terms of retention um, and job satisfaction, which we know is also related to keeping people um, and reducing turnover. And we also know um, younger employees, uh, there's been some Pew research that says they want mentoring as one of the professional development HR strategies that are offered at organization they're looking at. Absolutely. You know, if you just think about the people that are going to be watching this episode, um, you know, there'll be some out there just specifically interested in mentoring, but so many of them will want their own mentor if they don't have one already. I mean, it's just so powerful. So the competencies. I, there's just so many questions about this and how to make it work well, but let's start with the competencies of a good mentor. What should a good mentor be doing? Well, you know, what sometimes when I do presentations, I'll Google effective mentors or skills or qualities of effective mentors. And, you know, I read all that and I don't know anyone who meets them all. <laughs> like these are these people that idealize people who don't exist. Um, so we can kind of get caught up into you need to, you know, be nice and listen and help the person grow. And it just sort of goes on and on. But I would say even great mentors have bad days. Mm -hmm. kind of need to keep that in mind. Um, But I would say uh, the top competencies are reflective listening, being able to listen well, listen for substance and put it, put it all together, building rapport, which is the foundation of trust in those relationships and the skills of asking excellent questions, not asking lots of questions, not being an interrogator, 
but learning how to ask the right questions that's really going to move that that person's trajectory and thinking to a different place. So I would say those are the really the three core, you know, competencies. Some people also would include things like I'm having an awareness of uh, self and inclusion and diversity and equity. But I think if you really are good at that reflective listening and rapport building, you're going to be doing some of that already. Mm-hmm. Now, reflective listening, just to be clear, because I'm curious, is reflective the listening is like I've heard what you said and I'm going to recap what you said? Yes, but it's a little bit more than that. It's not just sort of this touchy-feely. And so what I hear you saying is this, um, but it is putting together the story of what the person's trying to tell you and making sure you understand it. Because we often listen for what we're going to say next, or we listen and we think we know where the person's going, rather than just sort of sitting back and really getting what they're trying to tell you and making sure that you've got it right. And then so for the people out there watching this because they want a mentor, what should they expect uh, when they're starting out in a mentoring relationship? Maybe they're thinking about calling up someone and saying, will you be my mentor? Uh, What should they expect? Well, that's a great um, a great question. And, and you kind of have two questions in there. One is, how do you find a great mentor? Um, and my advice is, um, you know, in most countries these days, we don't just, the first person we start dating, we don't say, hey, will you be my husband or wife or partner? You know, we don't just jump in. We get to know them a little bit. And I would say the same is true for mentoring. So rather than say, hey, will you be my mentor? Uh, unless, again, it's a formal mentoring program, we've been mad. It's probably better to, you know, identify someone who maybe has some knowledge that you would like to have or acquire, um, who's been successful in the organization or has a position that you might want to have one day and seek their advice on something. Um, It can be as simple as, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'm weighing some decisions about my professional development. I'd love your input. Mm-hmm. And um, then sort of following up with that person and maybe even asking permission, can I check back in with you from time to time? And out of that, uh, more, you know, informal, natural ment- mentoring will evolve. And then the expectations part. Did you answer that part? What they should expect from the relationship? Well, let's see. Um, in terms of expectations, certainly you want to expect that the person is going to, um, you know, give you some good information that they're an expert in the area. Um, that they're going to have some confidential conversations. And you need to maybe have a conversation about that. If you're sharing some things that you might be worried could get back to your boss, for example, maybe you're conducting a quiet job search, for example, or want to do some skill development that might be a little bit outside your normal scope of work. So you'd want to qualify or clarify, hey, you know, can this be confidential uh, kind of conversation? So you want to establish that expectation. Maybe how often you might get together. Um, you know, certainly for formal mentoring, like once a month is recommended, but it can be less frequent uh, for someone you're adding to your network. And other expectations are uh, that they're going to, um, you know, treat you well, that give you good advice, that doesn't misfire, um, not judge you, rather support you, um, and help you process a bit kind of unpack maybe when things didn't go well like how might you do that differently next time but you should also have an expectation to thank them um so it's important that mentors feel that you know it's worth their time as well um and so sort of letting them know hey this really worked 
this thing that we talked about last time, um, really can make a difference in the mentor wanting to stay engaged with you and just sharing successes. I know some of my mentors, it's not such a little thing, but I'll sometimes share, um, hey, this happened for me and I did it, this. I don't know if you remember, we talked about this two years ago and I just really wanted to let you know. They really appreciate that. Mm. So having that expectation to sort of share back um, those outcomes, I think is also important. I think a lot of mentors go into it looking for some sense of personal satisfaction right out of it and, and to make that really happen for you at the mentor is really good advice. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about, like I was a mentor um, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about that situation because my mentee, and it was a formal program, and she talked, spent a lot of talk time talking about office politics and about people's feelings and who liked her and who didn't like her. And uh, and it was like either a mismatch of expectations where I wanted to be more tactical and, um, you know, project oriented, but that's not what she needed at the time. It seems relevant to the expectations that somehow our expectations about what was going to be happening there was not a lot. Well, those can be fun conversations to have sometimes, but in terms of a mentoring relationship, if you kind of go back to what's the purpose of it, and it's to really help um, the person achieve some personal and professional goals, maybe mm -hmm. talking a lot about their colleagues isn't moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so part of the skill of a mentor might be um, to say something like, look, this seems like it has a lot of emotional freight for you and important for you to unpack, but help me understand how this is going to get you where you want to go. How can we, um, you know, how can I support you in doing that? So sometimes mentors might need to sort of reroute that conversation or realize that that person's just really not interested um, in making that kind of progress, that they just were looking for a friend to chat and gossip with about work. Um, which maybe isn't really a mentorship. How would you distinguish low and high quality mentoring? Like what are some of the things you would look to? Well, I, I often will ask people to do a thought experiment, you know, to imagine someone they really like walking down the hall and what are three adjectives they use to describe that person. And they have great, they have great adjectives, you know, yeah. uh, interested, motivated, uh, funny, warm, all that. And then I asked them to imagine a person, uh, if they saw them again, it would be too soon. Um, and what are the three adjectives about that person? And they're really fast on describing that person. Um, and they're all the negative words you can think of. Yeah. And we can think of that as our mentoring relationship too. High quality really lift us up, give us a lot of positive energy, motivate us, inspire us. Um, whereas negative relationships really can drag us down. And some research says that, you know, people, 15% of these relationships are are dysfunctional relationships, um, that the person feels like they're being taken advantage of or um, judged and evaluated. They Like, they feel worse from being in the relationship than feeling better. Now, the fact is, great mentorship is going to provide some critical feedback, but sometimes that critical feedback doesn't always feel great at the moment that you receive it. But it shouldn't be demoralizing. It should have a plan to help you think, well, how can I do this differently next time? So when we think about high quality, um, I often talk about these high quality relationships at work, which focus on that the person is opening you to new ideas and new people. 
mm-hmm. that there is some um, resilience in the relationships. If you have a negative interaction, you still want to come back and engage with the person. And that has positive emotional tone so that you can really express when things are going well and share maybe when it doesn't go so well and figure a way out. Whereas dysfunctional relationships, this is when there's this mismatch, people feel neglected, either because somebody's like starting to look at their phone rather than talk to you, um, or that they actually manipulate. So sometimes people take credit for other people's ideas in these relationships, um, which you would like to think doesn't happen, but it does, uh, especially in really competitive environments. Or it can be just general dysfunction. Maybe life is not going well for one of the people and they're just not able to show up and be there in the way they might like to. So there's lots of ways that can go poorly. And part of that is recognizing that quickly and trying to gracefully exit uh, those relationships where it's not going so well and finding someone else to add to your network. Yeah, don't give up. Okay. I know we're going to talk about um, a formal mentorship program, which I'm super curious about uh, in another episode. But as a teaser for that episode, what are some tips you might have for starting with an actual program? Well, my number one tip always is, you know, why are you doing the program? What are the goals of that program, both for the organization and for the individuals? And people think that's an obvious answer. Um, but what I was I, about to say, yeah, you would think we're obvious. We just can be able to say, well, they, well, we just want to have a mentoring program. We want to help our employees. Okay, well, help them how? There's lots of ways you could help your employees. Mentoring necessarily the best option versus a one-day workshop or some skill-building activities or all the other kinds of professional development things you can do. So really helping people think through what are those goals and if they get real clarity and specificity on that, then it drives recruiting the right people, having the right activities that are going to help achieve those individual and organizational aims. So you would be surprised how often people have actually a pretty tough time starting to really clarify their goals more than just a generic, well, because someone told me to, or we even inherited a program or, you know, isn't mentoring great? Uh, we, we should yeah, be doing like, it. Yeah. Let's maximize our, the advantages of mentoring. Oh, exactly. Man. What, uh, so along those lines though, what does a, a really good uh, why look like? Well, some are doing a really good job of doing that. Um, they're very clear that their mentoring program is for new employees to onboard them and help retain them in the first year, which is really different from a mentoring program for mid-career people who that maybe is helping to move them into leadership positions. So a number of organizations, when they're very clear about, hey, it's one year and we just we want to get those people socialized and on a great track, which you can imagine you would do very different activities than sort of a mid-career moving people into leadership roles. In an organization, what are some other contexts other than you know, onboarding and leadership development or some other contexts for which you might want to do leader uh, mentoring? Well, there's... Um, growing need for reverse mentoring because as we approach more and more of the generation retiring and they have a lot of institutional knowledge um but they might not always have all the technical new skills so some reverse mentoring is becoming very popular where uh, newer employees are really helping more senior employees learn some skills um, i have a colleague in england um, he's done a lot of work around maternity mentoring so it's women who've exited the workforce to have children, but now really need to get caught back up with changes that might have happened in the last year or two when they've not been in the workforce. 
Um, so that's a very focused program as well. Then, of course, you have um, some mentoring for when senior people are leaving. So in their last year, they're really trying to do some mentoring of the, the less experienced people to really get them up to speed, which is, looks very different than I'm trying to just keep this person in the workforce for their first year. So there's some other interesting, um, you know, context. And again, it has to do with what the organizational need is meeting and how then can it also really help develop those folks professionally. Well, that was super interesting. Okay. Where can someone learn more? And you need to mention book. Well, of course, I, I, the Mentor's Guide is a great uh, resource for mentoring programs in particular. But there's two professional organizations I would recommend to people, the International Mentoring Association. Okay. There's also the European Mentoring and Coaching uh, Council, EMCC. They have a lot of resources and professional development. Both of them offer webinars. Um, and so those are great resources. And then there's some perfect books. Uh, Brad Donson has written a lot about um, mentoring women. Uh, Athena Rising is one of his books, which is um, very excellent. And the Center for Mentoring Excellence. So uh, my good friend Lisa has uh, Fain has uh, worked with her mother to write some things on the hallmarks of mentoring. So what are the hallmarks in an organization about mentorship and some really great resources on uh, being a good mentor and mentee. Okay. All right. Well, I will put links to those um, both in the actual uh, video episode as well as in the show notes. Well, thanks, Laura. I learned so much from that, and I'm really looking forward to the next episode where we talk about what to do about it. However, for the moment, we have reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when I talk shop with another insightful guest.